It starts here. Chris Spear highlights the agenda at ATA's 2018 NAFC. And the ATA speakers talk about the future of supply chains and why blockchain is a team sport. Hyundai Merchant Marine's building spree adds to the global order book. And 260,000 UPS Teamsters authorize a strike if necessary. We do five good minutes with Bettina Warburg and five good minutes with Max Ward. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. What you drinking this time, JP? Why do I ask? Bell's too hearted. Ouch. Well, I'm keeping up with you in the quality of the beer. Drinking here a dogfish head, only a 60. But proud to, uh, you know, keep trying to branch out a little bit. Oh, yeah? And how is it? It's uh, It's got a malty, you know, kind of hoppy solid finish. Only a 6.0 ABV. But, hey, this guy's amazing. He knows his Britannomyces, if, if anybody I've ever known. Uh, so, yeah, good times, man. Great to be back here from Raleigh. Yeah, dude. Uh it's awesome to have you back in the office, dude. Well, thank we, you. We really missed you um, and your positive, just your good vibes, dude. <laughs> well, I wasn't feeling so positive on the plane today. Uh, there was a leak on the plane. It took me eight hours to get back, and it should have taken about an hour and a half. But, um, hey, here we are, and I'm a little punch drunk from my travel. But, um, wow, what a crazy time at the ATA's 2018 NAFC conference. Uh, and t- tell us what NAFC stands for. Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, National Accounting and Finance Council. Wow. Yeah. You sounds like a hell of a week, Chad. Oh yeah, it had its uh, it it had its ups and downs. Let me tell you. So, um, tell me about uh, Chris Spear, the ATA president. Um, what did he have to say? Chris Spear, man, he's a, he's an intense dude. Um, you know, he basically he 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 kicked us off uh, for our uh, the keynote address uh, on uh, Wednesday morning, uh, and you know he was just talking about like he was like. He was like, everything is just happening right now. You, we're like, he was like, you guys right now, the things you're going to be discussing is going to be like, you're setting the protocols, you're setting the standards. This is what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the uh, the year, and and your participation matters. And just like, just tell us like what we need, what are our talking points? And one of the things that he really he he led off with, and we won't cover every all of his talking points. But one of the ones he, he, he talked about was, you know, blockchain. He was like, you know, I, I need... He was really? Like, yeah. Interesting. He was like, I need to get blockchain down into three minutes, everyone. He was like, I need... People, when I get in front of these folks, like, I got three minutes of their time. If I can't hit blockchain super high level in three minutes, then then we're not going anywhere. It's interesting Chris Spears saying this. This, is, this really shows you how deeply it's penetrating how seriously people are taking it how hungry yeah. people are to hear about the technology and just it's it's cool i mean it's, it seems like even though there's a bit of a, like a bear market in like cryptocurrencies or whatever now you know the hype is faded and now we're left with some right. really compelling use cases that people are actually you know 
uh, sinking their teeth into. Yeah, there, I mean, there was that. There was the cybersecurity touched on. He mentioned, uh, you know, he was, you know, the driver shortage issue that the ATA is big on um, discussing. That he, they, he was, he said, I've got some carriers turning down as many as ten thousand loads a month. You, he was just like, you can't imagine the repercussions of that. Yeah, he was like, "Are we all going to get together and end up holding hands as as an industry?" You know, he laughed and said, "We'll see." But um, there's there's issues like that, you know, that that we need to solve. One of the things he kind of called out the media on was uh, uh, autonomous. Yeah, he was like, right. "Yeah," he right. he was like, "Driverless trucks." He basically made the media like show their hands. Oh yeah, yeah. he was like like President Trump style. Right, and like so they're pointing they, at the report, <laughs> pointing at the reporters, and yeah, I guess so. Up. And I proudly raised my hand. I, I looked around. Wow, there was like one you, Chad, other standing person. up for freedom of the press. <laughs> and then he's like, he looked at me. He was like, "All right, well, I'm talking to you." But no, we we are good about we're good about autonomous man. He was like, he was saying, "Look, look, autonomous five isn't happening anytime in our lifetime, probably." But what the exciting parts are levels two and four. We know all about that, right? Yeah, we've we've we actually he probably read that on freeways. <laughs> we've certainly defined those uh and also they seem to be big on the advocacy of the 18 to 20 year old 18 to 21 year olds uh being able to drive nationally with the proper training which i'm all about yeah i, I, I agree the more i think about it and even though we, we talked to the oid people and they were opposed to it you know on, so on supposedly safety grounds the fact that you can that a, you know a 18 year old or a 19 year old or yeah. a 20 year old can drive from Houston to Lubbock. Yes, and that was one already. of the very things he said. Yeah, he was like, now it might be a little bit of a different issue in Texas than it is in Rhode Island. He's from Wyoming uh, and right. joked about that, but he it's just like, yeah, in, in fact, in fact those cases there are no standards. So one of their big arguments is that they're actually creating standards nationally for these very well-trained, often military-trained drivers to be able to, in a very responsible way, you know, they, they want that, they want access to that pool of talent, as he said. But to me, one of the big deals that I, I took away from the conference that I really, really enjoyed listening to were the two speakers that, um, that talked about uh, blockchain, bringing it back okay. to that. Yeah. It, it, it was um, Tyler Jinks, from uh, he's a co-founder of 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 Very. He's also um, uh, the senior vice president of solutions architecture right here in Chattanooga. But Dale Christie as well, man, what a good presentation. He's the VP for strategic planning and support of FedEx Freight. Oh wow! And really good presentation. And so he, he's super into blockchain. They're totally into blockchain. They both are also fresh coming off of the consensus. 2018 event in oh, New York. Yeah, we had, we had uh, Lincoln Duff uh, was up there. On Man, the I want to go to that. You know, it sounded c- kind of crazy this year. They, they it was sure. like, it was like what double booked almost. I think there were as many as nine thousand people. They there didn't, they didn't and... stop selling tickets when they, <laughs> when it was like they were already way maxed yeah, out. So. That doesn't sound comfortable. But maybe next year they'll 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 uh, figure it out. It just sounds like there was a lot going on. You probably heard the word blockchain five hundred thousand times. Maybe that wasn't the good part about it, but there are like blockchain is happening. Um, I guess I'm a believer now. I am into it. It is like it's uh, it's undeniable. I think everybody needs to learn more about it. 
and For you know, sure. and they and in in a, in a way of like that that felt very like a human way of talking about it. Um, D- Dale Christie especially was able to you know like I I, I, I like talk about it kind of like naturally and like it didn't feel like a stuff. It didn't presentation. feel or just a just like okay here we go again with the repetition of you know the the standard talking points you it's hear. Distributed. It's immutable. It's right. transparent. <laughs> nice. Exactly. Um, you know, they actually, he began with a quote from his, the FedEx chairman and CEO, uh, Frederick W. Smith. Right, who spoke at Consensus. Yes, and was, and he's a, you know, pretty crazy guy. He's a risk taker. He pushes boundaries. And, you know, he, he said, among other things, he said, we are quite confident that blockchain has big, big implications in supply chain, transportation, and logistics. It's the next frontier that's going to completely change worldwide supply chains that is a really bold statement from Isn't a company it? with a lot of money that invests a lot of money in technology it I mean, is that's seeing your i mean it's one thing to say we think there may be some use cases we're going to do some sort of low-key low-risk pilots it's quite another thing to say we're quite confident that it's the next it's big thing happening. and that's it yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and and this also I appreciated this because the other night you know like after like coming back from the transparency eighteen event and I sit down in the evening and my wife for the first time says, Chad, can you tell me a little bit about like well like what is this blockchain thing? And I was like, oh yeah, I got this. Here we go. And every time I started to try to explain it, she was like, whoa 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 whoa, you know. And yeah, I had to back it up and try and, and just I wasn't going anywhere. Well, this is like this short definition that Dale Christie provided, like each of these things needs to be parsed out, but this is is about as distilled as you can get. This is what blockchain is, everybody. Here it is. It's a digital ledger that is permanent, transparent, and shared. That's it. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's... I was impressed. I didn't come up with it. But yeah, uh, you know, shout out to Dale Christie. Very cool. So it, it, things like that, it was, it's all happening at the ATA. I mean, what's cool is that there is, there is so much information. There's so much media out there about blockchain technology on the internet, whether you are some, you know, a supply chain person, whether you are a tech person, whether you want to like invest, yeah. what, what, you know, like there's, sure. there's so many different projects and, and there's so much material at varying levels of expertise. It's really cool. I've been reading a bunch of like white papers recently. And wow. The stuff that they're doing now is like actually making, you know, it, it, they're, they're advancing it really quickly. Uh, white papers is super cool. I, I could, I could, I could, I could go get into it, but please don't. Not right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> We've got a couple of cool interviews anyway on it, but um, I'm, I'm reading a book on it as well. And I'm kind of curious about reading the, the, uh, the uh, Don Tapscott. Oh, the blockchain uh, revolution. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I think I've heard that that's a really good, a really good blockchain book. Well, anyway, we'll think about it. But there are other headlines to cover, uh, including the Hyundai Merchant Marines building yeah. spree, adding to global order book. That was kind of a hard, a hard uh, article to to research and get a lot of good information on. You did nice job. Let's tell us about Thanks. it. Thanks. Yeah. So there were um, earlier this week there are a bunch of news articles about how Hyundai Merchant Marine, um, which is a South Korean container shipping line, yes, has put in orders to almost double the capacity of its fleet. And right now it's like the 12th biggest 
container ship fleet in the world. And it's like the government's getting behind that. Yeah. And they're the ones. Yeah. And so okay. the, ba- the backstory is that um, South Korea's biggest fleet used to be Hanjin, which essentially collapsed in late 2016 and went bankrupt in early 2017. And the government kind of just let it go under. And um, we ended okay. up, it was catastrophic for the South Korean economy. Their exports, like, like plunged it, it, it was it was bad news i mean you know asia is all about exporting stuff right it, um in containers and they couldn't yeah. do that anymore and so um the ministry of oceans and fisheries for the um in seoul um was like we need a five-year plan to rebuild our shipping industry we're going to finance the construction of like 200 ships 60 of which are going to be massive container ships and so they're really they got behind hmm um, they are putting tons of money into it. HMM has ordered, so they, they're ordering um, 20 ships. 12 of them are going to be 23,000 TEU capacity, which are basically the, the biggest ships ever. Okay, yeah, th- those kinds of things I think go over the go over our so heads a little bit. Right now, the biggest container ship in the world is like 21,000. Wow. And these are going to be, they're ordering 12, 23,000. So in a, in a geopolitical kind of context, like why, why are, why is this a headline for us? Like what's, what's the super big deal about it? The big deal is that South Korea is basically nationalizing its shipping industry. Huh. And they, the goal is for HMM to go from about 450,000 TEU capacity total yeah. to a million. What? Which is like top five. Uh, you know, players in a very, very consolidated space. Yeah. And so what a power th- move. They, you know, Hanjin went down hard and they were like, we're not letting that happen again. We are just going to dump everything into HMM. They, they distributed all of the, the, the orders to the th- sort of evenly among the big three South Korean shipyards. Okay. And so it's really, this is sort of like what state sponsored shipping industry looks like. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Really interesting w- w- way to get granular. I mean, in your article with it, and I think everyone should check that out. Our other main headline uh, today uh, of, of this week's uh, podcast, uh, and as we round up the many different articles there are, was the, uh, the, the, the issue of the UPS, uh, the 260,000, qu- over a quarter of a million UPS Teamsters that authorized a strike. If you know, it's if necessary, right? So, like, but it's it seems like this is this is like kind of new. It's like you said, it's the first time in fifteen years that they've that, that something like this is as the, the tension has ratcheted. Yeah, out. yeah, and you know, we could get into the actual like grievances or whatever. I don't think that's really what is causing this. But so, yeah, um, they're negotiating um, a renewal of their five-year contract. Right. Um, the deadline is July 31st. And so what the union has said is that if the talks fall through on by the 31st, you know, we're, we're authorizing a strike. Now, five years ago in 2013, they didn't take that step. Five years before that in 2007, they also didn't take that step. And uh, we talked a little bit... Um, okay. To Donald Broaden, who is a yes. um, you know a capital you know equity, equities guy who studies transportation logistics, he he actually um, was talking on CNBC about wow. this very topic yesterday. Okay, we kind of corresponded with him a little bit before he went on the air, 
And he said that he actually sees some macroeconomic similarities between 2018, where we are now, yeah. and 1997, which Whoa. was the last time the UPS workers went on strike. And he basically is saying that a really strong economy with sort of um, a surprising yes. demand for freight moves that sort of has caught UPS off guard. And if you look at um, what happened in the holiday season, 2017 especially, they really underestimated how big e-commerce was going to yeah. be. Yeah, so we he talked said, about so we covered said, that. Macroeconomic conditions are putting pressure on UPS's network. At the same time, it's coinciding with very, very low unemployment, meaning that there's not a lot of workers that are like desperate to find a job. So they can't just, you know. So, so basically, the bargaining power in 2018 is with the Teamsters, just like it was in 1997. Okay. And so he thinks that's why they are ratcheting up the pressure. On the man on UPS management by authorizing a strike. So the strong economy, strong is, economy is creating is very good business for UPS and straining right. their resources. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, all yeah. of this, right? right? So that it's they they know that UPS has more at stake. Right, and the low unemployment means that you know you have to. They can go find other jobs. They can go find other of, jobs like, that basically, yeah, yeah, wages are going up. Companies yeah. are trying to fill positions. You know, it's it's more of like um, the the bargaining power is in the workers' hands. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, and so you know, I don't think that they will go on strike. But UPS, the bottom line is that this is what Broaden said. He said that the bottom line is that UPS will have to pay up to keep them from going on strike. So if you're a UPS customer, for they'll do it. They'll do it. Yeah. They're, but they're, they're reasonable, rational uh, people. Uh, they're uh, the leadership of UPS. They're, they're moving on to bigger things. They got bigger fish to fry. Well, here, you know? well, the problem is, is that labor costs are the biggest line going item expense up. in their entire you know cost structure. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. It's like, if you're a UPS customer, UPS is either going to, you know, pay off the unions so that they don't go on strike and then turn around and raise rates on you yep. as a customer, or they don't do that. The Teamsters go on strike and your packages don't move. So it's a lose-lose in a way. Um, what's, hmm. going to, what's going to end up happening is UPS will pay them off. UPS will raise rates. FedEx will also raise rates, maybe not quite as much, but FedEx isn't going to have the increased exposure to labor costs hmm. like 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 ups will raise rates to cover their increased labor fedex is going to raise rates to match ups but they're not going to have a similar rise in their labor costs because they're non-unionized and so it's going to be pure margin for them whoa um, so it's you know it's wow way to distill that for us and give us a little perspective on a very complex issue uh, we are, uh, you know, we are going to now like dive into the best that we can assimilate of our big deal, little deal, rest of our headlines. Right. Before we have two fantastic five good minutes uh, on blockchain, our one of our talking points uh, today. We're talking about. Uh, we're talking with Bettina Warburg, ladies and gentlemen. Bettina Warburg, who um, is a blockchain ex expert as well as Max Ward, an international blockchain dude of uh, founder of Openport. 
Uh, so anyway, um, well, JP, are you ready for this? Let's do this. Let's really try to achieve this in two minutes uh, while giving the public what they need. So, okay. Ready and go. Transportation job openings hit a record high and wage increases are likely going to continue. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. Um, you know, these macroeconomic inflationary pressures are, you know, they, they, they keep mounting and something's got to give eventually. The Jordan Company acquires Global Trans for a reported $400 million. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. Um, private equity firms are super interested in transportation and logistics right now. They think it's one of the few big industries left in the U.S. that isn't consolidated, and that's what they're trying to do. Road check 2018 in the California market. Big deal or little deal? Um, it's kind of a little deal, I would say, because basically this is the national uh, week off the holiday for truckers. Uh, every, I think everyone is just kind of parking and avoiding the cops. <laughs> Okay, so FMCSA releases new personal conveyance guidance. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. Won't have a big deal on capacity, as was the thesis of our uh, headline there. But the uh, flexibility will help a ton for drivers with parking, maybe getting home, and also possibly cheating. Uber Freight launches fleet mode tool that caters to small fleet owners. Big deal or little deal? Gotta say big deal. We do a lot of catering to big carriers. We do a lot of catering to owner-operators. But how about the in-between? Concerns mount over tariffs, and congressional Republicans suggest a bipartisan pushback. Big deal or little deal? <laughs> little deal. I'm going to say the economy's surging. There's no evidence that any bipartisan support is mounting. We do it? Oh, Silent Barry is Silent giving Barry us the giving thumbs, us the thumbs up. up. We don't get the, uh, the 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 nasty sounding like gym bell thing, like the yeah. the. Eh. No, we didn't no, get that. We didn't get that. We didn't get the. Eh. So I'm getting I'm getting a good vibe here. And now jumping back to our blockchain theme, we'd like to present to you two uh, interviews that we did at Transparency A Team. Hello again for our five good minute segment today. Bettina Warburg joins us, a graduate of both Georgetown and Oxford. Bettina started her career as a political scientist and public foresight researcher at a Silicon Valley think tank. She has taken her skills as a researcher and scientist and is applying them toward an entrepreneurial career by co-founding a venture studio business called Animal Ventures. There, she spends most of her time incubating new startup ideas, advising Fortune 500 clients, governments, and universities in developing minimum viable products and strategizing around blockchain, artificial intelligence, industrial internet of things, and digital platforms. Warburg recently launched a new blockchain education course called The Basics of Blockchain. The hope is that this course will help spread the body of blockchain knowledge, inspire a new generation of entrepreneurs, and get people more ready for the coming revolution. Bettina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Are you ready to play five good minutes? I sure am. All right. And if you make the five good minutes, um, you get the free t-shirt, which I know you're dying for. Always need a t-shirt. All right. So, um, all right. Well, ready or not, here we go. 
You come from the governance side of things when it comes to blockchain. There's a confusion of regulation issues as well as even businesses not sure how they can leverage their data together. What are some of the right kinds of questions we should be asking? One of my favorite things to tell people is to think about compliance innovation. Like most of the time, yeah. governance is is sort of the the red flag in the room. It's something a company is worried about, right? How yes. how is working with a new technology going to um, change my relationship that's already a good relationship with a regulator and and maybe um, challenge that? And I think it's a good question to ask yourself is actually how might it improve? Um, how might we start to see a technology like blockchain that gives you, you know, a shared reality uh, from which to work? That might actually improve your relationship with regulators. You can involve them in new and interesting ways. You can remove the auditing function that they're required to do, um, especially in heavily regulated industries like the pharmaceutical industry mm -hmm. or um, areas where we see, you know, the control of a product is really important. And so um, being able to actually have transparent data and um, innovate on, you know, how that data is shared and accessed in closer to real time is, is one of the things we're seeing um, as sort of a new tool in, in a toolbox for supply chain industries, food, pharma, lots of spaces looking at how do you actually think about compliance innovation? Fantastic. Uh, what are the headwinds and challenges ahead for blockchain in the enterprise space? To be honest, uh, you know, people look at technology and they think it's an implementation issue. It's really almost always a people question. You have to start um, really approaching this technology in part from understanding, well, what does it mean for how we govern it? How are we going to all share this same asset, the same database structure, and work from it together. So oftentimes, you know, the, the technical components aren't as challenging as getting people in politics right and being able to um, help a company or an industry think about what it might mean to, you know, work with alongside a, a former competitor or an existing competitor um, using the same technology but driving value for, for both of you. So it's, those are some of the, the areas I think that are gonna really be important in how adoption gets, um, you know, moves up a notch is gonna be how enterprises start to sort of come together and become networked and deal with some of those people questions. For sure, um, and so I've, I've heard it said even before your, your talk today, um, that you know, it's the it's the small. There's a lot of there's too much. It's not sustainable to have a lot of private blockchains. That ultimately, where we're headed, are our public is a public blockchain or or public blockchains. Um, how, how close are we to that? Are we is it a, is it within a year or two? Like, and how many are these? How what's the the evolution? We see us moving actually towards sort of an internet of blockchains. So you'll have some that wow. are that are designed, you know, to be for a specific industry or for a specific purpose, like, you know, government-based blockchain efforts. You're going to see a lot of different structures, different architectures emerge and then actually get connected to each other, which is going to be, be awesome. really cool um, and interoperate. So people are already working on that, but this is a long time frame, right? It's, okay. it's important to know we're looking closer to 10 years. 
um, and maybe even further. It's not an overnight success story. Uh, it's not a move fast and break things technology. It's one where you really need to consider um, a lot of the implications, especially of working along, a, you know, with a public blockchain where that information is is basically permanent and lives on. So mm. you you want to make sure you're really um, cautious and uh, and taking it seriously when you innovate in this space. What was the quote that you that you said about the people get excited? about something oh they overestimate yeah there's a great quote by roy amara called amara's law now uh, in silicon valley which means most people overestimate the influence of a technology in the short term and underestimate its influence in the long term and blockchain absolutely fits that you know we have sort of a hype cycle right now and people are very excited yeah. and they want to you know attach it to everything and it you know it's going to solve every problem and that's not really true and at the same time it is a transformative technology it will change uh, some of those underlying digital architectures for a longer term, you know, a 10-year term. Boom. Wow. That was it right on five minutes. Congratulations, Bettina. You just won yourself uh, a medium-sized What the Truck t-shirt. What the truck? <laughs> cool. um, awesome, though. Really, thank you very much for your time. This was fantastic. I appreciate it. For our five good minutes segment today, Max Ward is joining us. As CEO and co-founder of OpenPort, Max is responsible for the commercial and overall strategy, international expansion, and investor relations in support of their mission to revolutionize logistics for new markets. He is a multilingual global citizen with extensive work and cross-cultural experience acquired in Asia Pacific, Europe, and the Americas. We should note that OpenPort is one of Transparency 18 sponsors. They're driving real-world application of decentralized ledger technology for transportation and supply chain. Max, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for that intro. Happy to be here. Yeah, uh, are you are you ready to play five good minutes? Yeah, I'm ready to play. Yeah. That's great because if you win, if you if we can make this in five five minutes, we're synchronizing our watches now then you win a free t-shirt, which I'm sure you're excited to hear about. All right. Um, actually, you, you, we'll give you a t-shirt anyway, but let's, right. let's see what we can do here. <clears throat> yeah. All right, ready or not, here we come. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, could you give us a bird's eye view of what OpenPort is and how long you all have been in the software as a service uh, space? Yeah, we started, I, I'm originally from the States, but I've been most of my career really in Asia. Uh, you know, working for large companies like DHL, facing off to multinational customers. Wow. And so I said, okay, here's my opportunity because their distribution in emerging markets is a real mess. And they, they have a hard time connecting directly to the asset owners, the, the truckers that are moving the freight. And we thought we could build a platform that makes that better. So we started that about three years ago. Okay. And we took a multi-market approach so we could really meet up match up with the needs of uh, particularly fast-moving consumer goods companies. So the Unilevers, the Nestle's of the world, the, really the high-volume shippers. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing, you all, um, your technology, you mentioned that it uh, offers three key benefits, security yeah. and trust, speed and cost, and is fully scalable. We yeah. hear a lot about the current limitations of blockchain, that it yeah. still doesn't handle complexity well and isn't scalable. Right. So could you tell us a little bit about how your technology offers a scalable solution? Yeah, so what's interesting with uh, Ethereum is that there are limitations on just the general network. Okay. But if you can go in and fork that and then stake new nodes. So new node operators for us are Asian truckers. 
Uh, so New you nodes. Yeah. Awesome. So those are the nodes that validate the, the consensus. And then I think what's been interesting for me this week is really learning about how common a use case smart contracts are for freight bills. Okay. But well, we, we need more than that. We also need the proof of delivery. So we have had a lot of success with micro-incentives on local currency to truck drivers, even especially with subcontracted truck drivers. So then we're able to get the proof of delivery back and match that up with the smart contract. So what we went live with a couple weeks ago in Philippines is third-party factoring. So using not our own working capital, but a bank or a new blockchain uh, lender, uh, and then passing that to the transporter. So in this situation, the shipper gets everything that they want in terms of visibility. We speed up the cash flow. Uh, the driver gets a little bit of a bonus. Yeah. And, and then we really operate that on a private uh, side chain. And that's through a different okay. entity. It's, it, okay. it's, it's through a different entity, which is our Open Enterprise Logistics Foundation. And that's kind of news. We've got a, a new white paper coming out and that one uh, tomorrow yeah. and a website next week. And, Terrific. And, yeah. Be on the lookout for that. Yeah. <clears throat> what we hear also, we hear a lot about last mile delivery these days when it yeah. comes to the e-commerce space. Yeah. Uh, but one of the solutions you all have come up with is in support of the first mile. Yeah. Could you tell us how you're helping companies with first mile solutions? We, we do a lot of first mile uh, for international brands in China and India, places like that. So the export market, so the international brands want... Uh, I, I won't name names because okay. we actually go through uh, intermediaries, which are large logistics companies on that. But we should give the pickup at the factory and then show how it comes into the port. And then somebody else, a big logistics company, can show that information to their customer in, in the BCO in Seattle or wherever. So that, that's an, a, a product that, that we've, we've had that's really growing. Uh, when we get into consumer goods in Asia, really that's 90% domestic sourced. It's not really the international supply chain that everybody sees on mature markets where people bring stuff in from overseas. Is it just as complex yep. as last mile, first mile? Like, well, there's, uh, you, you got your first mile, you got your last mile, and you usually got some middle miles. And we, we try and, because uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. you make it, then, then you bring it to a primary DC, then you move it to the distributors, and then the distributors got to move it. So usually consumer goods move four times. Uh, you know, sometimes right. more. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then you go out in the general marketplace and truckers in Asia aren't sending EDI, quite frankly. So we just put, you know, Android smartphone is all you need. Uh, that was tough in the beginning, but now with loans and payback on the loans with micro incentives, yeah. we're able to really get these phones in the hands of truck drivers. And we're excited about how that works. And then that brings back the EPOD and it speeds up the cash flow, which is a really delayed uh, paper process. So yes. to make that work, you need a functional protocol for that industry. And that's really for, with the foundation. Uh, and, you know, we've got interested a lot of members coming in, joining that. And then at the same time, we've got a commercial company, which is OpenPort, uh, that sells the software and has digital logistics around it. And it complements well with with the foundation, which is open source. So I'm not sure. Love any, that. Love yeah. the open source idea. Yeah, I'm not sure if any company should really own own a protocol, right? So it's right. better to have that open up to members. I think so, that's the future. Yeah. So I think it's it's took a lot of people by surprise when we started with that structure, but I think it's really working, and it gives us the flexibility to build the ecosystem we need. And now we're able to prove it, just particularly this month, uh, in Philippines, going live with our liquidity product. 
And we're just going to focus on that for the next few months and then go to other countries with speeding up payments. Terrific. Yeah. And you just went over a little bit. We won't do, even say how much. Do I still much. get the shirt? <laughs> uh, yeah. you, you will still get the shirt. Thanks yeah. for thanks for playing. Yeah. You yeah. did a terrific job. That's some really interesting stuff. And uh, everybody yeah. be on the lookout for the new white paper. Right, yeah. All right, Max yeah. Ward, thank you. Thanks for coming awesome. on. great. And that'll do it for the big stories this week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. And if you're interested in freight economics and finance, come to our Market Waves Conference at the Gaylord Texan Resort and Convention Center in Grapevine, Texas, this November. Visit marketwaves18.com to learn more about this event. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.